Welcome to Middle School Matters Podcast number 511. It's really not a rhetorical question. We've got uh, some things for you in the joke section, and we're going to talk about uh, where we think things are going with education these days. So without further ado, here's the wonderful, the magnanimous, the Mr. Troy Patterson. All right. Welcome back to the show. I am Troy Patterson, and with me is the world's greatest kosher host, Mr. Sean McGurr. Hey, Sean. Well, hello there. How are you? I am all right. I'm coming to you from New Digs. I am no longer in the basement. I have been promoted (laughs) to the second floor. (laughs) Woo! Uh, Yes, so I am am now in a whole new state. You are in a whole new state. Even though it's kind of of funny because we used to live pretty close to each other. You know? Yeah. We could have easily gotten together and... Um, we've always done the show via video conferencing, mostly because I was too lazy to get up and like actually go anywhere, but, um, same here, but we've always (laughs) done, (laughs) I mean, we've always done this through video conferencing, but now we kind of have to go do this through video conferencing because we do, um, it's about a 14 and a half hour drive. (laughs) Sorry. I'm not commuting. That's that's just uh, that's just the way it is. So, but uh, everything is moved. The office is set up. It's not. I'm not going to say this is the final iteration, but uh, I think we're pretty close, and things are are set, and we can we can do a show. So that's why there hasn't been a show the last couple of weeks. It's because um, it's moving and getting everything installed and arranged and out of boxes and. All that good stuff yep. as well, but I am here now, so and uh, have a have things set up and ready to rock and roll. Although, if Apple would release a 30-inch iMac with a M2 processor, uh, that yeah. would be uh, that'd be nice. That would be awesome as well. Hey, um, do you know why we're born with two nostrils? Born with two nostrils, you say? Yes. Um, I don't know why we are born with two nostrils. I guess it's hard to pick just one. Ah, that's also you pick a your visual friends, you joke. Pick your that one, yeah, that one, uh, that, that one is a visual joke as well over at, uh, middleschoolmatters.com. Uh, what do you call it when someone steals your coffee? Dead man walking. <laughs> Depends on how much you've drunk, right? Whether you can catch up with them or not. <laughs> what do you call it when someone steals your coffee? You call it a mugging. A mug. Aha. Uh-huh. A mugging. Yeah. Ooh, you got one of those in the mail now, from Mountain Every now and then. I've you know what I've I've got to do is sit down. I think I've been threatening to break out the coffee machine and just crank out a bunch of coffee, but I haven't done that recently. All right. So I've been been standard Diet Mountain Dew guy yeah. lately. Yeah. Yeah. I have coffee just about every morning. So. Well, there you go. And mid-morning. So. Um, oh, you got to pre it. You just got to go like three French roast pots in a row. 
Oh no! I well, I make I'm, I make kind of strong coffee, so um, and I use a French press usually. So two two pots is usually like uh, gets me pretty wired. So uh, two pots would be my maximum. I wouldn't go for that third pot of coffee. But. That's what you got to do to get ready for middle school. That's right. That's right. I, yep. I had a friend who went into a pet store and inquired about bird cages. Yep. He asked one of the oh. employees, um, uh, you know, hey, what is what is this one made of? And the employee said it was aluminum. And he said, huh, oh. is it? it's not made of nickel? There's no nickel in there? And he was told it wasn't. Um, he was thrown out of the out of the pet store when he declared, so it's a nickel-less cage. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Nicholas. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we're moving and all that good stuff. And I'm pretty sure that someone hid the final essay, paragraph of my essay on a shelf way up high. Really? But I don't want to jump to conclusions. I see. I see. Uh-huh. 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 Hey, what mm-hmm. did they yell at Edgar Allan Poe as he was walking toward a maple tree? Uh, towards a maple tree? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What did they yell at Edgar Allan Poe as he was walking toward a maple tree? <laughs> Poetry! <laughs> <laughs> ah! The dog barked that one, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, hey, I bought a new wig for a dollar. It looks good on you. Yeah. I mean, was... uh, oh, did you? It was a small price to pay. Ah. Uh, another one of those homonym jokes that I like so much. Um, you know, many people enjoy a day off on July 4th. Uh, you had July Fourth off, yep, yep, but I not did. fire. I thoroughly enjoyed it. No, yeah, nope. Fireworks on July Fourth. Oh, that's true. Fireworks, fire. And finally, no matter how much yes. you push the envelope, it will okay. still be stationary. That's true. You are correct. I have a couple of additional. Um, visual jokes for you as well over at middleschoolmatters.com, including a math one, um, which I liked a whole lot. Um, and one about made in America. I could see the math one. Like you could get more of those, you know, mm-hmm. they could just be multiplying. They could. They could. And as long as they're not divisive or they don't uh... subtract from what you're doing. That's true. I really think they should add something to the yeah. the discourse. It does. <laughs> Speaking of the discourse, um, we have a continuation. So if you didn't listen to the last Middle School Matters, listen to that one. Uh, make sure you listen to the Middle School Science Minute. And this is uh, on the, uh, can, kind of continues on from that one. This is on the intentional um, integration of computational thinking um, from you know who, the oh. wonderful oh, Mr. No. Dave Bidlowski in the Ooh. Middle School Science Minute. 
Hi, this is Dave Bedlowski of K12Science.net, and this is your K12 Science Podcast. I was recently reading the May-June 2021 issue of Science Scope, a magazine for middle school science teachers published by the National Science Teaching Association. And I was reading the section, Interdisciplinary Ideas, and Raja Ridgway wrote an article entitled, The Intentional Integration of Computational Thinking. Raja has had the opportunity to work with elementary and middle school teachers as they began to integrate computational thinking into their classes. Everything from inquiry-based STEM classes to writing and social studies. A common pitfall that teachers fall into is introducing computational thinking without any connection to their core subject. For science teachers, this often looks like spending several lessons introducing computational thinking practices like decomposition and algorithm development without any science content. Another approach is to spend those lessons just learning how to program in Scratch, again, without any science content to frame why Scratch can be a powerful tool to understand a science concept or how the computational thinking practices are connected. In essence, teachers are delivering computational thinking content and hoping that students will make the connections or be able to apply the computational thinking practices in upcoming lessons that do focus on science concepts. Raja thinks of this approach as similar to spending a week at the start of a semester building student lab skills out of context. Students learn how to graph, but they don't understand why they're graphing or how graphing impacts their understanding of specific science content. So how can you avoid this pitfall and integrate computational thinking intentionally? In 2019, three researchers at the Education Development Center published a paper on a multi-level framework for integrating computational thinking into existing science curriculum. The three researchers worked with teachers from 1st through 6th grade to develop their students' computational thinking skills alongside their science content. In seeking to avoid disrupting the curriculum of the science teachers or attempting to build skills that were out of context for the class, the three researchers used a framework of exist, enhance, and extend to intentionally integrate computational thinking skills. Exist means the computational thinking practices already present in an existing lesson are highlighted and discussed. Enhance means an activity or lesson might be adjusted to allow students to engage more with the computational thinking practices, potentially integrating technology. And extend is an explicit focus on the computational thinking practices with students probably using programming to learn more about the science content. At all the levels of the framework, it is essential to start with the science content and then integrate computational thinking to improve the lesson. But this can often be easier in theory than in practice. From the author's experience, one of the first challenges teachers have is determining which computational thinking practices should be highlighted at the exist level. And the four computational thinking practices are decomposition, 
which are breaking down into components, pattern matching, finding similarities between components, abstraction, the process of reducing complexity by focusing on the main idea, by hiding details irrelevant to the question at hand, and bringing together related and useful details. Abstraction reduces complexity and allows one to focus on the problem. And algorithms, a step-by-step -step process to complete a task. Given that there is so much overlap between the computational thinking practices and the science and engineering practices and cross-cutting concepts, there are often multiple computational thinking practices that seem relevant and worth discussing with students. While teachers could attempt to highlight all the practices, the author found that the discussions are richer when the focus is on one or two computational thinking practices. The process of determining which computational thinking practices will be most appropriate starts at the beginning of the lesson planning process. And this has been your K-12 Science Podcast. All right. Um, let's see here. We have, uh, well, you know, I should say that uh, just as a quick reminder, the that uh, the podcast is something that I do on my own time and is not reflective of my employer. And the opinions and views expressed are, are purely mine because um, I have taken a new job and I haven't. I just want to make sure that, that uh, you know, I, I put that out there, that uh, these are the, these are my opinions, not the uh, opinions of my employer and it's not the official stuff. And sometimes I play devil's advocate with some of this to help the, the thinking along. But, you know, so that being said, I, I have a new job, which is, uh, mm -hmm. means I have a lot of work to do to figure out, uh, um, you know, what's going on, where I can make a difference, how I can make a difference. And I'm really looking forward to that. But one of the small world um, kind of things yeah. is one of the board members was a student mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the wonderful Mr. Dave Bidlowski. <gasps> <Ooh>. <laughs> very, very small world. So you talk about the six degrees of uh, separation that thought that was right. you know, kind of, it was kind of interesting so um so yeah but you've this the first one you've got here really struck home with me because <laughs> let me tell you something here so yeah. the, the first note you have is changing sunrise by 45 minutes or so and i'm right i'm not sure what you meant by that well uh so if you uh if you look in well, from where i sit um and when it hits dusk here, it's dark on the East Coast. Correct. It's about a forty-five minute difference. If you hit, if you once you hit, you know, past Grand Rapids, then you're looking at about an hour's difference in sunlight. So, uh, it's, you know, you changed your sunrise by about forty-five minutes. Yeah, and that's something that you know. Um... My wife and I have been saying it's like we we feel like we're in a different time zone. I mean, we're in the same uh -huh. time zone, but um, man, that sun comes up awful, <laughs> awful early. Yeah. Um, so that is something that's uh, it, it's just like 
we should be in a different time zone. This should be, <laughs> there needs to be another time zone in here. Like maybe we need to do the half hour thing or that. And um, the other thing that really struck me is there's been talk of a, having like a, of UTC, of universal time being like used. And I understand that people like hate it and don't want it. Mm -hmm. But boy, there's times when like, I'm watching something and now because everything is streamed, mm -hmm. I'm like, is that time their time or is it Eastern Standard Time? Because almost all shows now, they like give you the time in Eastern Standard Time, right? So like right. Major League Baseball has a draft coming up and I saw the thing for the draft is going to be at 7 p.m. in Denver, <laughs> And I was like, oh, is that 7 p.m. Denver time or is that 7 right. p.m. my time? Because I don't know if they are accommodating for where I am or not. And I mean, fortunately, we're on the East Coast. So mm -hmm. by default, like, <laughs> you know, the time is usually given in East Coast time by default nationwide. It'll usually say 7 oh. p.m. or 4 p.m. Pacific time or whatever. But yeah. Right, so well, they usually do Eastern and Central. Way. Yeah, yeah. That way, it's an hour later for the other two time zones, and they just figure it out. That's what I've noticed. Right, but I'm I'm just kind of like, shouldn't there be like a UTC? Like, let's just acknowledge that it, it's the same time everywhere. So there's an interesting thing matter. done. I just yeah, I did the Learn Moodle. Um, class out at Moodle HQ and Mary Cooch sits in London area uh, time zone and um, so being the teacher she orients her uh, she does a once a week she does a live where she sits in the you know you can come in and ask questions right she's there for however long it is but it's at a certain time well I'm sitting in Detroit and obviously a seven hour difference in in time zones um, but one of the, there's two cool things I noticed. One is that uh, I put in my location in the classroom, in this case Moodle, and Moodle adjusted all the times for my time location so that even though she was doing it at 8 in the morning, her time, uh, it told me that I could get into the meeting and she would be live at 2 p.m. <laughs> right. So that I didn't have to think about that or do that calculation in my head. Mm -hmm. The other thing is I've 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 been in a country where the entire country is um, one time zone. It shouldn't be, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> it <shouldn't be>. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're in Beijing and the sun is up at four thirty in the morning, and you're thinking to yourself, "There's just this something wrong here." And then you get on a plane, you fly to the other side of the country in Chengdu to uh, to teach in Chengzhou, and the sun doesn't get up till six. You're like, yeah, yeah, there's something wrong here. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I get that. Or you could be like, uh, I think it's still Arizona. It doesn't do the time zone. It uh, doesn't do time daylight savings at all. Yeah, there's a couple places that don't do time light yeah. savings, and then there's daylight savings, and then there's a couple places that are like a half hour thing too. Yes, and I, yep. I know that that's always kind of weird as well. Then there's um, Europe. And you know, that's honestly, too different. 
whether the sun comes up at 5.30 or 7.30 is just a social construct for us, right? Time, time is not, you know, 5.30 doesn't really mean anything. We've decided that time 5.30 means something, right? I mean, if we called it, no. if we went by UTC, it would be, you know, like 1500 hours might be early morning for you, but it would be afternoon for me, but it would be the same time. No, I, I, I get you. I, I see what you're saying. It's, it only makes a difference because my boss says I have to be at work at a such and such right. a time. Right. The buses have to be there at such and such a time. The lunches have to be at such and such a time. Right. You know, and so that means that, you know, and then. And then I, because I'm on that schedule, you know, the sun has to adjust to me, which of course isn't going to work. Right. Yeah. That doesn't. It has a bigger happen. body than I do. Yeah. So something else that's been an adjustment is ISTE 21, which you, you had the, uh, you went to ISTE 21? I did. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> I'll explain. I, I kind of did have a choice. I could have gone this year. I could have gone next year. Um, and I thought, eh, we'll just do it. Um, because when they canceled or when they moved ISTE to uh, November instead of um, being right. regular live, you know, um, what they did, I said I couldn't make it. I couldn't come. And they said, uh, fine, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a credit instead of refunding you. We'll give you a credit towards either next year's ISTE or the year after. No, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Towards the November online ISTE or the um, 2021 ISTE. Mm -hmm. And I said, fine, just give me the credit. That's that's fine. And so I had to go because otherwise I would have lost my money because they would have said mm -hmm. it's only good for the November one or this one. So I went. And there, there are a couple of things I liked about it, and there's a couple of things I didn't like about it. Um, it's not the same when it's online. Um, yeah. Just, it, it's, it's different when you're with a crowd and you're watching their reactions to the things that are on stage. Um, and um, the, one of the things I do like is that I have till January 3rd, I think, to go through and look at everything because they've, they recorded every session. And so normally it's, it's, uh, you know, it's an economist's dilemma where the opportunity cost, right? Do mm -hmm. I go to this session or do I go to this session? I can't go to both, you know, and, and if it's a bad session, I walk out and go to another session, but I've missed part of that session already, or I might not be able to get into it because there's so many people. Well, with this format, I, it was easy to use the, the rule of two feet and just go to a different session, you know, and, and find something, um, so I like that. I like being able to get all the materials from a poster session. I like being able to get the the videos and watch the videos. Um, I'm going to link to one and when it, that PD that I'm doing, and because we're doing a PD, uh, we're doing uh, flexible PD at the beginning of the year. I don't know right. if I've talked about this or not. And so teachers will have the opportunity to either flex it on their own time. Or they'll be able to go to prescribed sessions and on, on Wednesday, for example, Wednesday for two hours after school. Well, one of the books that they're using is a presenter for Misty, right? And I want to be able to take her stuff and be able to say, see how this is how my flex PD session 
ties in directly with the other PD session that you didn't take, or you might have taken last year because we did that book last year as well. So I want to be able to take it and say, hey, here's how this all ties together. See, here are the connections, and I'm going to make I'm going to make my PD that I'm developing inter it's not interdisciplinary inter for lack of a better term, disciplinary, interprofessional, developmentary. Let's go with that word. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, I, I kind of like the fact that I've been able to see some sessions again because there's a lot that happened. Like Eric Kurtz always gives wonderful stuff. And I'll be able to go to every single one of Eric Kurtz's session because normally when you go to ISTE, you can't go to every single one of them because <laughs> unless you get there a half hour early, you can't get in. Right. So I'm looking forward to that, you know, as well. So ISD 21, there were some good things. There were some bad things. Uh, and one of the th interesting things I uh, was a keynote conversation with uh, uh, Richard Collada and Susan Kane. And Susan Kane has uh, done a, a TED Talk uh, called Quiet. Uh, she's also done a book by the same title. And um, she's got another one out, too. I forgot what the name of that one was. But it's also based on Quiet Kids. And she's done some research on the quiet kids. Now, we've told the story before about when Dr. Debbie Silver uh, um, was teaching, she would you know, make the kids uh, all come together and do group work. And she had a student who came to her and said, can I just go off and work by myself? I work better by myself, just off alone. Let me, let me figure out the problems and I'll do the presentation or whatever, but I just, can I go work by myself? And she didn't make um, the kid do it, right? She said, no, no, it's good for your socialization for you to work together with someone. And so he did. And he did it, but he wasn't necessarily the happiest about it. And then uh, her son called her years later and said, Mom, Mom, so-and-so is on TV. And, and so she popped on the TV and it was James Cameron talking about uh, a new uh, filming technique they did for uh, one of the films that he made, uh, the one that's a science fiction film. I have not seen a lot of James Cameron films. It's not coming to mind right now. Right. And... Um, and what he said was, yeah, no, uh, you know, I all, you know, I got to give a, a huge compliment to so and so. It was, it was the kid. He, uh, we sent him off by himself for six months, and he completely renovated and designed a whole new way to film, um, you know, scenes like this. And when he came back, that's how we got those really incredible shots, is because he figured out this really incredible way to film this scene by just going off by himself and doing it. Well. Susan Kane in her TED talk and in her book is uh, saying we've we've spent a lot of time teachers in particular spent a lot of time saying groups working in groups and collaborating is a is a is a skill that businesses are looking for and she's done the research and she's her argument is yes and that's not necessarily true and she goes through and explains how your introvert kids as many as a third to half of your students are introverts, need the ability to just go off by themselves, work on something, and then come back and do it. She goes, nobody's an absolute introvert. Nobody's an, uh, you know, absolutely 100% gregarious, uh, you know, overt type of person. She says, but so we need to give the options to kids to work individually by them by themselves, and it's hugely important. So she made an interesting observation. Uh, she said, your, your leadership, your leaders that the, the bring more people together and open things up so people have opportunities to explore ideas are your introverts. They're the ones who are the uh, 
uh, your your leader types that give people empower people to go explore and you get a wider variety of ideas out of people if your leadership is, uh, are introverts which i'm looking forward to i bought the book quiet and i'm, I'm interested in in finding more out more about that and explaining or exploring and playing with that so that was a really cool uh interview session um the other ones that like the keynote stuff that they did um so it's it's turning into so years ago and again this is strictly my opinion um years ago they would bring in like the uh a director from the world bank and all of us would sit there going why are we listening to a banker talk to us about anything mm-hmm. and um and the back channel chats were just excoriating. Um, and so I was going to avoid them. Like, you know, I just, and then they changed it, right? And they were bringing in teachers and they were bringing in some other things. And there's been a couple cool ones that I went to that I really enjoyed. Uh, the Jenny Majera one was really good about, you know, what it means to be a, a teacher leader and, and um, finding your voice and advocating for kids. I get that. Um, but it, it's moving back towards the the ones this time. I I could have skipped all except for the one with Susan Cain. Um, they just were not. It wasn't about teaching. It was about other stuff, and that's not why I went to the conference. But but uh, yeah, that's that's ISTE twenty one. Maybe maybe someday we'll get you back there. Yeah, I I enjoyed ISTE. I I'll. Um... One of the things that you were talking about is balance, right? About not Mm -hmm. everything needs to be group work, not everything needs to be individual work. And and that's one of the things I'm really big on. And sometimes I fear with ISTE, they don't always talk about balance. They, They sometimes pitch things as, this is the one way to do everything now. And um, for me, uh, ISTE is big picture stuff. So I like to go to ISTE like every three or four years to get a sense of what's coming on a grander scale. But um, there's other there's other conferences that I tend to like dealing more with practical um, in the classroom kind of things. I, I think ISTE yeah. is, I think ISTE is a very useful resource, but again, for me, it's something that's good every three or four years. See, kind of the higher perspective, you know, the forty thousand foot view instead of the um, oh, very on, much. The, on the ground kind of thing. So, yeah, and it has been a while since I've been to ISTE, so you know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, and, and um, it is interesting that you point out. There's advantages and disadvantages, right? You lose the reading the room. You lose the hallway conversations. You lose the energy from a room, right? On the flip side, um, ISTE is usually like, uh, what was it, three or four days long? Um, They're up to five. Five days. So, So you can do basically 40 hours, right? You can do like an eight hour day. So you can do, um, yeah. Although the way they have their sessions scheduled, there's time in between. So I was like, probably like five or six. So like five, so let's say there's eight blocks that you can go to. 
So there's 40 sessions that you could go to, right? Um, maximum. Maximum. I may, have the, I may have the number wrong, but the concept is there. You've got like 40. Okay. I, I don't know if it's 30 or 40 or, you know, what the magic number well, is. But they also do this thing where, you know, they start and then there's this huge block of time, like in the first afternoon where there's nothing. And then the right. second day in the morning, there's this huge block of time where there's nothing. And then they start in the afternoon. And so you've got this this space in between where you're like, if you're there only for the conference, you're twiddling your thumbs going, okay, I don't have to charge the batteries anymore. I'm good to go. I could be at a session. I, and then, then, then they open the vendors, right? So it's time where you could have been going and looking at what the new things are uh, for classrooms or whatnot. And, right. um, but you can't because they don't have it open yet. And they did the same thing uh, this time as well. Um, I don't know how I, I went and looked at a couple of vendors things, but um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot. Uh, IPVO has a, uh, a very portable document camera out now. Um, you can actually get it on Woot. There was, it was a Woot yeah. special. Uh, so apparently it's not uh, selling like hotcakes, but I like it because I can stick it in my bag and I can go from room to room. But, but the concept here is, you, 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 as you said, the economist dilemma, the opportunity cost. If you're going to see right. um, this thing, then you can't see the other one, right? right? And right. some sessions are only offered once, and a lot of sessions are only offered once. So frequently it is. It, it's uh, either this or that. There's no, there's no um, in-between. Um, so you can pick those, you, you pick your 40 or 22 or whatever the number is, and that's what you go see. With the being everything being recorded, you could theoretically spend 600 uh -huh. hours uh -huh. <laughs> at ISTE, uh -huh. right? Um, yep. Because, you know, day one, which is only 24 hours, may have 100 hours worth of recorded video. So you could do 100 hours of recorded video if you if you wanted to do that. And that's a different experience. And um, I'm wondering, are, is education going to make adjustments for that? And is professional development going to make adjustments for that? And what does that look like going forward? You know, will will ISTE do some kind of hybrid in the future where everybody, sure, everybody comes together because we're social beings. We like to get together and you do get those hallway conversations. You do get those table conversations that um, that are hard to replicate uh, online. Uh, but then you could also be able to check into some sessions that you wouldn't be able to meet to go to. Uh, AMLE sent out an email. Um, it was an invitation, but it was worded in such a way as to, we are so looking forward to your coming to our conference in, in um, Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up to pay for your conference. But they're going to do a real live conference. And then I got a follow-up email. That was a couple weeks ago. I got a follow-up email yesterday saying, hey, you know, if you book through our conference site and you know, book a room through our conference site, you would be eligible to, you might win. And it's like this really nice room or you know, the entire conference mm -hmm. fee or I'm thinking to myself, 
huh, so they're not getting people to sign up for the conference. And I wonder if people have just decided, well, shucks, if I don't have to travel, why should I? And second of all, I'm actually getting a better deal by doing online because I get access to so much more, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just as a side note, I'd like to welcome Downey4 as our new segment sponsor for how to go and get your uh, your your PD onto your hard drive. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know we had a sponsor there. <laughs> Downey doesn't know that either. Now, Downey 4 is a wonderful little app. Just yes. If you've never used it, go, go try it. One of those ones we don't talk about too often because. <laughs> I love that app. Then Permute. I like Permute as well. It's made by the yeah. same guy. And Permute's nice because you can shift uh, things from uh, different audio types. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I did not mean to kill that conversation with that no, ad. That's, that's fine. And ad. The, well, and I think that part of this kind of leads into. Um, the, some of the work that you're doing this summer is preparing PD, um, and how that and how it looks, and it's, it's a, a little different than past years. You're putting together some PD, which is asynchronous, correct? I am. I'm putting together PD. I'm doing a uh, uh, an, a um, Moodle training on how to how to basically get started in Moodle. And mm-hmm. um, I remember years ago, about 20 years ago, the uh, university that I graduated from 25, okay, 30 years ago, uh, when I graduated <laughs> from college, I talked to a friend of mine who had started uh, doing uh, the satellite teaching. And mm-hmm. she said for every hour she spent on satellite teaching, she spent eight hours of prep. And I thought to myself, wow, that's like incredibly um, intense. You have to put in that much just to get an hour. And she taught every single day. And I said, so how many classes do you teach? And she said, two. And I looked at her and she goes, yeah, I know. I can't do this for long. This is this is just way too much. So uh, I'm finding it's about the same ratio. It's not eight, but it's, I'm doing a lot of hours. It's way more hours to get an hour of PD in and record your own video and plan it. And, and I'm not even doing it professionally. I'm just, you know, I'm using a stock, be- a, 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 a preset beginning, a pre-ending, preset ending. I'm changing just the text in between because once I got it set up as a template, the only thing I'm doing is the stuff in between and I make mistakes probably more than the average bear. Um, And so just doing your own recording and doing your own work and you're demonstrating and building examples is far more than an hour. There's not a, it's not a one-to-one ratio of uh, prep to, to classwork. Um, But it's a lot of fun to do, but it does change things, right? Because as I'm building this, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not doing this just for the one-off PD. This -hmm. is something that we could actually build and then make, and put into our repertoire, so to speak, as so anybody can go in and I'm going to make it so they can get badges and, you know, they can get a right. course completion badge. Right. And and then they can add that to Badger, to a, a digital backpack. 
and they can say to the district, look, I completed this PD. I did this, um, you know, and, and then they can build up their own. We can build up some institutional certifications. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I'm a proponent of as well is to do certificates um, because certificates, I do badges, but also do certificates because there's something about a certificate that says, you know, I have this skill um, and uh, that people can then share those certificates. But the the bigger thing for me is that this can be different, can look different, can feel different. And that does take time to develop as a professional development leader. Because let's let's be let's be honest here. When you're doing professional development, if you're doing it all in person, no technology, no anything, you spend a good amount of time preparing and getting ready for that, and massaging that, and um, you know having everything all set. Right? It's not right. if you're good at PD. That's that's not a one to one issue either. Um, Especially at first. I mean, if you're a prof- if you if this is your job, you know, if you're Rick Warmly and you're doing grading, and you deliver this essentially the same presentation uh, thousands of times, then sure, your prep for an individual session becomes much, 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 much lower. But at the early parts of that, but that's the result of those thousands of hours of preparing, right? Um, right. And and so just PD in general, good PD in general takes time and energy and effort. And now if we're doing something different, if we're looking at how it is different and what you can do differently, um that is that takes some some thought and it takes some time to develop that skill and what that looks like and i'm not sure we're completely set with exactly what that looks like yet i think we still have some some um time and effort to go on that you know? and translating it's translating mm-hmm. activities because it's asynchronous you know you can't look at the at the at the folks taking it and saying, all right, now everybody go do this and let's share out. You know, it's, it's not like that because share out, and that's, you may not be taking it at the same time as somebody else. And that's part so of that you have the structure what things. What I was yeah. trying to say is the structure and the activities yeah. and what you can do can and have to be different. Mm-hmm. And that takes time yes. to, to develop those skills. And it is, in, 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 it is accurately transformative. Right, you don't want to just take what you did in the classroom and put it online. It's transformative. No. You can do some things differently. Um, I was reading an article by 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 by. Um, oh, that's an NSYNC song, right? No, <laughs> I was trying to remember who it was. Trying to keep up that with the kids. Very good. That was that was pretty awesome there. Um, it's uh, ideas and thoughts. Um, and for some reason, I don't see his name. You go to the about and it's not listed there. Um, oh. I think it's Will Richardson and somebody else is why. Darren Kuro. Mm. 
maybe not. Um, I go to the about page on this and it doesn't say, um, it doesn't actually say his name. <laughs> uh, Dean. No, no. Uh, interesting. He doesn't have his name on his about page. I like about pages. Okay. Uh, apparently his name is Dean. I'm not sure which Dean it is. Anyway, he has a post called It's Not Just a Tool. And it is about technology not being just a tool. And people saying technology is just a tool. And he says it's not. It is... The he says, quote, that statement minimizes the shifts and changes that technology affords and allows people to use technology to perpetuate bad practices, more testing, and seek efficiency and simplicity instead of the messiness that comes from personalized connections to passions and interests. So the, the point here is that technology can allow us to do different things in different ways. And that's what I fear with like conferences is that, you know, you're always going to start with what you know, like the SAMR model. You start with substitution. You start with doing the same thing, but using technology. And are conferences and professional development going to switch into where you can do something different or not? So. I wonder if, so I wonder if, so we see things, I see this with the kids, right? So one of the things that's happened in advisory is that I'm seeing them, they formed a little tribe, right? <laughs> and as they went to other classes, um, you know, well, no, 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 it's, in, you know, it, they, they would, they would identify with other folks who are also in their same advisories, right? And, you know, this happened in advisory, we did this in it. And I wonder if we could do, I wonder if something similar could happen in this respect, because, and obviously, this is a stretch, huge stretch, but I'm just, I'm spitballing here uh, and IDing. I wonder if we find people who um, find other people who are similar to them or have similar interests and in similar groupings, almost like the special interest groups that a lot of these conferences and these, a lot of these organizations have. And, and a lot of the, the smaller technical conversations happen in, these smaller groups where the larger group is simply just um, big chunks of information that are, 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 are generated and, and passed out. I wonder if you're, I wonder if SIGs, special interest groups become a higher priority now because that's where you're going to build your connections as opposed to, you know, bumping into somebody in the hallway. I wonder if these become mm -hmm. the hallway conversations that we miss out on because we have virtual conferencing. And you're going to see this for all of your uh, your mid-level association groups, right? Um, because uh, I don't know how many of them are going to have a conference. Um, I don't know about Nelms and Mamley, um, if they're going to do a conference. But right. uh, there's nothing posted yet in my area. Ohio, I think, said they're going to have one. Um, but I've not heard anything from Wisconsin. I've not heard anything from Indiana. I'd be surprised if Indiana didn't have one. Uh, I don't know what Illinois is doing, and uh, I don't know what Michigan's doing. I it, right, and and again, if you do have a you know, if 
before COVID, conferences were kind of, some conferences were really struggling, right? And then COVID Mm -hmm. put the kibosh on. (laughs) COVID just changed conferences. You just couldn't get, you're not going to get 28,000 people together for ISTE. Um, well, and ISTE posted their attendance, and the attendance is only 9,000. Hmm. That's like a third of what's normally at an ISTE conference. Right. Yes. And so you can see why they want to go back and get people back together. So. Yep. Uh, they want uh, New Orleans to be packed with people, I bet. Right. Yeah. And they have the opportunity. To, they're big enough that they could actually – push that issue forward saying nope we're only going to do live because that's our bread and butter totally get it i used to i used to you know be involved in a in an association stuff like that and you want that because that's gonna that's your sustenance your year-to-year sustenance right because that you got to make budget the next year and you do it mainly through your conference you don't do it through selling books and you don't do it through journal articles and other things people don't buy your journals because the journal they you know it's it's the conference that's your money maker and is that going to continue to be the way or are there other ways for people for conferences and associations to make money to in order to continue to be viable unless you're a large organization like amle and isti I think a lot of your smaller ones suffer because they just don't have the people to generate a paywall. Right. And that's that's one that's a minor issue. The bigger issue is a lot of these smaller conferences don't generate content. Right? Right. And, and if you're not generating content, it's just a club and then for me, this this then translates to the classroom. Does the, you know, so conferences, maybe conferences need to look different and feel different and be different. And what does that mean for the classroom? Does the classroom look to, does the classroom need to look different, feel different, be different? And what does that model look like now? And how can we get there? And how can we help teachers get there? Um, and... How do we communicate that? Uh, I don't think we know. Um, you know? No, not yet. There was interesting, and I don't remember where I saw the article, but there was an interesting article that said, um, we we do have a history. Oh, it was Michelle Eaton. Michelle Eaton was doing it, uh, ISTE. And she said, people have been doing online learning for years. We just didn't listen to them this past few years. And she says, there's a lot of good best practice out there that works. Right. Right, and right. if you look at, at their model and what they're doing, their results are very comparable to what's going on in the classroom. In other words, there's not a difference between one and the other. She said a lot of times or a lot of the problems we had as uh, online teachers and taking and pushing everybody online is we didn't bother to go look at the best practice. We just did it. It was ready, fire, aim right. method. And mm-hmm. she goes, what we need to do now is stop go back, reflect, and look at what best practices are. She mentioned a couple of books, and I won't talk about them in this show because Troy promised we could only go three hours today. <laughs> we could. So, I, you know, and uh, 
Yeah, this this really this seriously really could be easily a three hour show. I don't think we're actually going to do three hours today, but uh, this could be. <laughs> but 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 those are the things that that I'm really trying to grapple with is, um, you know, on a personal level, what does we've talked about not meeting the needs of all the kids for a long time, right? And mm-hmm. now we have a we now have met different needs for different kids because some kids were really, really successful over the past year and a half. Some right. kids struggled. And, yes. And, and I also think that lots of different schools have handled this differently based on what that school culture thought was important, based on teacher proficiencies. I know how comfortable were they with technology, how comfortable were they with um, with targeting some of the social emotional stuff. And what we've seen over the last few months, the last year really, has been uh, a sudden awareness that social emotional needs to be addressed. Um, so you see, I've seen a lot of that. Um, being talked about on a national level, you know, that's, we'll see how much that is going forward as well. But um, I thought that was interesting as well, um, that there was such a push on, you've got to address the social emotional um, learning of, of kids as well. So I think schools that were, schools that had consciously addressed metacognition, um, seem to have had an easier transition than schools that were extremely focused on multiple choice tests. So I wonder if there's anybody out there that's done non myopic analysis of the social emotional needs of their kids during this time period. Um, and I'll, let me explain what I mean by that. I, I think, um, I'm going to use my district as an example. Um, I I actively measured the SEL of my kids by doing a survey once a week with my kids. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I did it daily. I said, all right, go do the daily check-in. And it mm-hmm. gave them a way to, to say, hey, I got an issue. Hey, I got a problem. And that could track changes over time, right? And as I'm tracking it and monitoring my kids, we were good. I did not have a kid who said, I need help, Okay. And I just kept doing what I was doing and meeting their needs. And I obviously don't know each and every individual um, advisory in my building. And I didn't have that conversation, just was not able to have that conversation. My social workers in the building were panicking, an absolute panic, because kids were falling apart and they were spending a lot of time uh, you know, they were getting calls at two in the morning, and these were kids who had some serious, serious needs. Mm-hmm. But because of the perspective, their perspective, it's it's the three blind men and the elephant, right? You know, I'm looking at one section, and I'm saying, "Oh, this is what I see," and the social worker was seeing another section and it's freaking out because they thought, if this is the case for these kids, there must be this. They're extrapolating for the entire building. Not once did we ever get feedback on how our entire building was um, 
handling this entire situation so we could kind of get the big picture and see things how they are. And I wonder if there's anybody that's like Eastern or, or another uh, teacher's college that has done any research on on how kids uh, handled the thing emotionally by surveying the kids. Um, because I think in some cases we make decisions that are myopic because we only see that section of the population. And I, I really wonder. I really, I, I, I'm not saying that there aren't needs. Please don't get me wrong on this, but I think that we, I don't think we have the full picture yet as to the impact of this. That's so, just my thoughts. Yeah, and so one of the things, another one of those issues that comes up is video conferencing this fall. So let's say all the kids are back and, um. They're coming to school on a regular basis, right? Are are where does what does video conferencing look like this fall? Do you continue doing video conferencing? Under what circumstances do you do video conferencing? Um, is that something that is necessary, needed? Where do where, how do you feel about video conferencing at this point? I thought it was interesting that our uh, software, Calendly software account yeah. was renewed. And Calendly was how we were setting up our Google um, um, video conferencing for parent-teacher conferences. And that was renewed. And I'm thinking, so there must be some sort of plan in the works to have this. I could see, so in, in my building, we do conferencing in the round, right? So um, we're by team but we're in the gym, so, and we're separated by way more than six feet. Um, <laughs> but all, all of the team, all of my seventh grade team sits on the far wall of the gym. The mm -hmm. other seventh grade team sits on the far, sits down by the far wall, but they've got the, the side wall right there on the, uh, the exterior side. And then, you know, so you got these little sections and you go around and over on the far side is the eighth graders. and They don't have teams in there. You know, that's, it is what it is. And uh, that way a parent can come in and rather than walking all over the gym to find all of the, all the teachers, the teachers are there. They can always, you know, just move down the line and progress. But I wonder if we don't set it up where the computer is there on the side and um, a parent who can't come in uh, or doesn't have the ability to come in uh, or chooses not to come in. Uh, well, we could just do a, a, a video conference on the side and how do we juggle the difference between the parent who walks in and walks up versus the one who shows up on, on Google Classroom, for example, or, I mean, sorry, Google Meet. I wonder, I, I think there's a lot of parents we don't see simply because it rains or it snows, right? Right. And this, this or, would be a way to connect. Or because of traffic or because of, right. yep. of just at almost anything, um, you know, and parent conferences is one place that I've heard and I've heard from teachers. I've heard many, many teachers say parent conferences were way better doing video conferencing than they ever have been. Um, that was one thing that really, that really I thought was interesting that came out. Um, because That's more could attend and more, and they also said that the parents, they, they felt like the time constraints were more honored 
because it was, mm. you know, it didn't spill over as, as much because they were there in person, which I thought was interesting as well. Um, there was a, I've heard some teachers say, you know, with um, kids being in in-school suspension or even out-of-school suspension, um, I'm just, I'm, we're going to bring them into the classroom. You know, we're going to video conference them. They may not right. be in the class, physically in the classroom, but they're down the hall in the ISS room or whatever. We're, we're going to, I'm going to make them accountable by continue to having video conferencing as an option. Um, I've heard, uh, and we did this, I've done this in, uh, in my previous positions, um, kids with medical issues, um, can now attend class and, um, mm -hmm. will be part of the class instead of, you know, sending the worksheet home with, uh, the teacher that visits, you know, once, once a week for two hours, the the student is can participate in the class every day and ask questions and get answers and that, those kinds of things as well. And then I wonder is, you know, is this going to be a differentiation opportunity where, Hey, you know what? Um, you don't need to come in today. You can do this on, on your time or, um, you know, if you want to attend remotely, that's fine. Now that gets into some of the seat time requirements and and that from the states, but there was a district in Michigan, um, which I did not work at, um, which several years ago had implemented a flex opportunity for kids where as long as their grades were a C or better, they ha only had to come in once a week to class the other days they had to do the work, but they could do it whenever, wherever they wanted, unless the teacher needed their attendance or if they were doing something that was, you know, like a lab where they had to be there. So they only had to check in once or twice a week. Otherwise, you know, they could go to the coffee shop and do their work and, or they could do it at six o'clock at night instead of, eight o'clock and o'clock in the morning so is will, will that become an option for more kids as well and i don't know but i think it's going to be interesting to find out that is interesting we years ago surveyed the parents about we made a change to how we did we did student-led conferencing one year and parents hated it and we asked them why <laughs> why why is this parents not something that you liked they did and they said, because, and it's interesting because it's not the perspective that you and I normally think of parent-teacher conferences. Rather than focusing on the script and the, the, the things that their student was showing them about their work, the parents didn't like it because they weren't establishing a relationship with the teacher. And they didn't see parent-teacher conferences as a way to look at their student's work and feedback on their, their, their stuff, but it was a way for them to build a relationship with the teacher, which disturbed the the three of us that were doing the, the asking the questions and the research we were like, this is not the time to build a relationship. <laughs> I mean, we need that before we have this conversation. And um, we tried to do some things that were different, but uh, I saw more parents in real face to face than I did online 
granted, um, there were time under constraints. And we had parents that would say, you know what? We don't, we don't need more time. Go take a bathroom break. Thank you. Right? Because uh, otherwise we were scheduling in things and not getting in bathroom breaks and other things that we needed for, you know, our, our end. We were going mm-hmm. for hours on end. Um, so I think it will be interesting to uh, – I think the, the hybrid has a lot of potential, but I think it's going to make it physically harder on the teacher. You know, so I don't know. That's a good question, how, how, how this pans out, what we do with this. Well, and again, harder on the teacher. I think it makes the teacher job different. And that's a it's a skill set that needs to be developed. Those are muscles that need to be developed, right? So at the beginning, right. is it going to be harder? Sure, because it's going to be something new. But is it the right thing for kids is, is, the, is the question. And... And it is a question. It's not a rhetorical question at this point. It is a question. Is it the right thing for kids? So those are things that need to be developed and and, and thought through and, and piloted out because we know that um, we know that learning is messy. We know that there's not a single answer that fits everything. And that the answer is usually in balance, right? Um, the answer is not every school needs to make every project project-based learning. Um, right. The the answer is you know not that um, personalized learning, individualistic personalized learning for everything is what we should be doing. We we know that the answer is balance. The answer is kind of like yes. <laughs> There should be some projects. There should be some project-based learning. There should be individualistic um, opportunities. You talked earlier about Susan Cain and you know mm-hmm. providing individual options. Yes, that needs to be happen. Um, lecture is fine as long mm-hmm. as it's not lecture every day, all day long. Then there's nothing wrong with lecture. Lecture is a perfectly valid uh, strategy. But it, it needs to not be the only thing. Independent reading is fine, but it needs to not be the only thing. So um, in developing those options and developing those skills is something that's going to take time and effort. And, yeah, there's going to be some pain points involved. But um, mm-hmm. I think there's some real opportunities as well. So. I, I think if we – the more – if we – this is, again, strictly in my opinion – but the more I see the teacher's focus split, I see an increase in harm to the students. That's, that's the only thing I'm concerned about. The more we split the teacher's focus, the greater the chances are we we miss something for the kids, I think. And I, that's my greatest fear in all of this is that if we split the teacher's focus between too many things, then something or someone gets missed in the process. So more so than more so than just leaving kids out because they don't um, their needs no, are not being I, addressed uh, I see well I think if you split the teacher's focus then those kids needs aren't being addressed so I guess I'd ask for your definition of split the kids the teacher's focus and what what do you mean by that yeah I think I think maybe um so you've definitely uh, moved to a uh, higher plane of thinking than where I'm thinking. 
Um, like, for example, if I have to keep track of both a Google Classroom right. and a live conference at the same time. Okay. It's this, this difference between um, microtasking and tasking is what I'm thinking. And like I said, I was thinking about this while you were talking. So you probably have moved to a whole other plane of thinking <laughs> of this. And well, I got trapped in a thought loop. No, no, I I think it's a valid I think it's a valid issue though because again, I when I say is this best for kids, I think some people take that as a rhetorical question and it's really not. It is and it is is this best for kids? And what is it that we are looking at a teacher's job as being? What do we expect from a teacher? Right now, you know, the the teacher is supposed to be the expert imparting knowledge. Um, right. I mean, we can talk about and we have talked about the teacher moving from the sage on the sage to the guide on the side. But in reality, we look at the teacher, you know, at least from teachers that I talk to, if you listen carefully. They still need to be the expert who is imparting knowledge and the kids are soaking that up and spitting that back. And if we're asking them to do something different, and the whole video conferencing, I think, was asking teachers to do something different. Um, and the best experiences, I think, were the teachers that made some kind of transition and did not try to replicate their classroom online. Um, then that becomes something that is different. A teacher's job is slightly different. Their skill set is a little bit different, um, and it becomes kind of a trans. They still need to be the expert. However, what they're asking kids to do, and and acknowledging that they don't just pass out the knowledge, i.e., lecture, and then the kids spit mm -hmm. it back. That that's mm -hmm. a that's a real change, um, and. That is a change for a lot of teachers, and again, it's a there's there's work involved there, um, and we can't just ex we can't just tell teachers you need to do this differently now. You know, you've we've got to really help create that vision and help build those structures for them, those foundational skills for them, so that they can do that. Um, and, and these are these are all wrapped up in things that we've talked about for a long time. We've talked about assessment, right? We've talked about what does assessment look like and multiple choice tests versus authentic um, uh, assessment. We've talked about formative assessment and building good formative assessment skills. Um, we've you know we've we've talked about the whole movement of. Um, uh, Cooperative learning versus mm -hmm. lecture-based learning. The all the Kagan stuff. We this is this, none of this is new. The question is: mm -hmm. Is can it be done now? Because we've had this transformation of tools that are now available. Uh, this transformation of technology that now makes these things available. By the way, it was Dean Shiresky that was oh. posted about the. It's not just tools, so. <clears throat> Good source. Dean, on your about page, put your whole name, please. <laughs> so, so yeah. 
All right. Well, All right. we are over an hour, and uh, we still have a whole bunch of stuff to go. So we're only halfway through the show. <laughs> we're not even halfway show through a the third. Show. You're not right. We're a only third a third of the way through the show. Um. So so yeah, but we are so. I think we're going to carry over some of these conversations to next week. Um, you have a lot of stuff in the Twitterverse. Do you want to move the Twitterverse to next week, or do you want to move? Do you want to address some of that now? No, we can move the this Twitterverse. Is, to this is part of me not doing post. By the way, is the audience gets to hear the uh, sausage being made, so to speak. So. Oh, and it's delicious sausage, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, we can move it to next week. That's fine. Okay, so um, we're, I'm going to leave some. We're going to leave some of the notes in at middle school matters, but I think it's for me. This these are the rich discussions that I, that I enjoy and um, really helps me clarify thinking. And that's one of those things that I'm going to be doing a lot of with a new position as well, and meeting new people and getting some new new inputs. So, um, so if you head over to middleschoolmatters.com. You can see all the show notes. There's going to be a few things that we didn't talk about this week um, <laughs> that are still in the show notes because, again, this could easily be a three- or four-hour show. Um, we really would appreciate it if you'd head over to your favorite pod catcher as, uh, that uh, allows for reviews and give us a five-star rating. Tell us why Sean is the world's greatest <gasps> co-show host. We really would appreciate that. And we definitely would love to hear from you. Do you, do you, has, is your teaching changing? If you're a principal, um, are your priorities changing from, from what you laid out? So for example, as a, as a principal, I always laid out professional development for three to five years, where we were going, what we were going to be doing. And with the pandemic, you know, that would have been thrown asunder. So um, if that's the case, we'd love to hear from you. Have, have you changed your perspective and your priorities for professional development for this coming year as, as well? And you can do that by heading over to middleschoolmatters.com. There's a link there with our email or um, voice as well. So we'd love to hear from you. So with that, this has been Middle School Matters for middle school educators who care.